Spencer Silver, a man named Spencer Silver, was working for 3M, uh, a, a major company, corporation, 3M Research Laboratories. It was way back in 1970. He was trying to find a stronger adhesive. The one he had developed and manufactured ended up being weaker than the first. It stuck to things, but it lifted off too easily. It just wasn't strong enough to stick. And he didn't know what to do with the stuff. They had barrels of this stuff that they had manufactured, but he wasn't ready to get rid of it. Four years later, on a Sunday morning, his friend and colleague, Arthur Fry, he was another 3M scientist, were singing, he was singing in the church choir. He was using slips of paper to mark the pages in his hymnal, and when he'd open it up, the, the slips of paper would fall out to the floor. And so he was frustrated with that. Remembering the barrels of Silver's adhesive, that was stored at 3M Laboratories, he began to experiment a little bit by using that adhesive to coat his paper markers that he was using in his hymnal. With the weaker adhesive, the markers stuck well enough, but they could be peeled from the pages without tearing the pages. And as a result, 3M began manufacturing what we know to be post-it notes since 1980, 10 years after the fact in which the adhesive was made, they're all over the nation. In fact, I've seen them all over people's cars. You know what I'm talking about? Post-it notes. So what at first seemed to be a setback or a flop, 10 years later became one of the most popular office products available. When life's going along just fine, and then something happens that just kind of knocks the wind out of you or sets you back a little bit, we call that a setback. When you finally get ahead a little bit financially and then, and then the car breaks down and it just takes that, it just kind of knocks the wind out of your sail. We call that a setback. When you suddenly experience health problems, we might call that a setback that you're going through. When your boss lets you go without notice, we call that a setback in life, don't we? There are times when we experience a setback. When there's a, trage a tragedy in your family, it's a setback that comes upon you in life. In the dictionary, the word setback means this, a checking, a checking of progress, an unusual reversal, the withdrawal of the face of a building. It's a construction term. We're going to set back. So they take off the face of the building and they move the structure or lessen the structure and they move the face of it back. It's a setback. And I want you to know that God has a way of taking the setbacks in life and turning them into souvenirs. He has a way of reversing things and making them better. What got reversed on us before, He makes it better, and He can turn it out for our good. I want you to read with me in the translation that's on the screen from Romans 8, 28. Let's just read it aloud all together, okay? So just look up here and make sure you're with us together on this. Let's read it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. How does a person learn that God's going to work all things for their good? How do we get to that place where we know that, where we can stand upon that fact? Well, the truth is we have to have some setbacks in order to learn that kind of truth. We have to go through some stuff in life. If you're a note taker, here's your first thing that I want to get across this morning. That's this, that the most valuable truths are often learned in the classroom of adversity. 
We don't learn the great truths of God when everything's going great. We coast along. Oh, sure, we can worship the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for how well things are going right now. But we often learn the deeper truths about God and His faithfulness when we face a setback. We go through some kind of adversity in life. The lousiest moments of life are often our greatest opportunity for personal spiritual growth. Those lousy moments when we really don't have much to say for them. And people say, hey, what's going on? Everything going okay? And we give them the good old Baptist, just fine. It's going just fine. But we can tell in the tone of the voice when things really aren't just fine, right? Anybody with me? Somebody says, everything's just fine. And you can tell it's not just fine. Maybe they're going through a lousy moment. Maybe you're going through a lousy moment. Some reasons that God allows setbacks to come are to correct us. I'm not suggesting that every time we have a setback, God caused it. But sometimes they are initiated by God. They're for His purpose. And sometimes it's to correct us. It's to turn us around. Sometimes it's to shape us, to make us better, to form us to to be something, someone ready to be used in a certain fashion. He will allow certain things to change that we view as being a setback in life, but really it's for something better to shape us. Sometimes it's to weaken us. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're pretty prideful people, aren't we? Thank you for that big amen. Uh, Somebody elbowed their husband and said, he's talking to you, right? We can be prideful. I mean, we do something and, man, we're ready to get the credit for it. We just, we we rejoice in our our doing well too much sometimes. We put the focus on us and not the Lord. Sometimes God has a way of humbling us and weakening us weakening us because He wants the glory for the things that He does in our lives. After God freed the Israelites from 400 years of slavery and they escape Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And Moses, you know, raises his staff and the Red Sea parts and they go across on dry ground and the enemy comes in, the Egyptians. They come in with their chariots, they chase after them and... When the uh, Israelites are on the other side, what happens? The sea goes back together and they're all drowned in the sea. Wow, what, what a time for great rejoicing. What a time that's uplifting. Thank you, God. How powerful you are, God. Look, look who we're serving. God is almighty. Did you see that? And we got to walk across on dry ground. Wow, what a great time. Three days later, however, they got thirsty. Three days later, they got thirsty and they forgot the great thing that God had just done to rescue them from Egypt, even just in letting them go and to drowning the enemy right before them. And they forget all that and they they get thirsty, thirsty. And so God has Moses lead them to this place called Marah. The word Marah means bitter. And they get to Marah, this body of water, and the water is bitter. They can't drink it. And so they begin to grumble some more. So they grumbled about being thirsty. God's brought us out here. Now he's just going to leave us to die. And and they forget all the good that God did and how he can change a situation. Now we've got water, but we can't even drink this stuff. He has him throw a tree into the water and the water was made sweet, the Bible says. And they were able to drink the water. It was good. They probably ask, if we needed water, why would God bring us to bitter water? And here's an answer I would think would fit this situation. He sometimes gives bitter water to show that the grumbling spirit that we have sometimes focuses on self. 
Our grumbling spirit says, I don't like this. This is not what I envisioned. This is not what I wanted for myself. This is not helpful to me. It may be helping them. This isn't doing for me what I want to be done for me and to me. And so we have a grumbling spirit. We become an idol in and of ourselves. And so God has a way of taking a grumbling heart, a grumbling spirit, and bringing them down, bringing them to bitter water so that He can expose in them what is lacking, expose in us what is our sinful heart, sinful spirit. That the bitterness sometimes is us. We make the water more bitter, I think, sometimes, don't you? But then God turned it around and He showed them this great truth. When he has Moses throw the tree in the water and the water becomes sweet and drinkable, we would say, why would God do that? Why not just let them be thirsty? (laughs) Why did he even change it? They were still grumblers. Well, why did God do that? And here's what I think. He does that sometimes and did that then to show them that he can heal anything and make it right. God can take a setback. He can take what we think is a need and what's holding us back and he can heal that. He can change it, and He can make it right, and He can make it go well with us. Years ago, Manly Beasley, a great preacher, was asked to speak at a pastor's conference in Denver, Colorado. The overall theme of the conference was the life of the pastor. And he was assigned this topic. You know, they have numerous speakers come in, they assign them topics, or they call them because they want them to speak on a certain topic. And here's his topic. Dealing with setbacks in the life of a pastor. And when Manly Beasley got up to speak at his part of the conference, he said, I don't know who came up with this topic, but he doesn't know his Bible. There are no setbacks for the person who is walking with God, but rather there are situations permitted by God for our good. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that was necessarily, but he pleaded with God on three separate occasions to take it away, take away this thorn from me, he said. But God didn't do it. Instead, God used that in his life to show him something far greater, to show him that his grace was sufficient for him, that God's grace and God's presence in his life could get him through something that he considered to be a setback in his life. Your lousiest setback might be your best souvenir in the making. The thing that you think is working against you might be the thing that God will turn around and work together for your good to launch you forward to be something that He can use, someone more usable unto Him, someone who can do something far greater for Him than what you're able to do now and make your life far better than what it is right now. Sometimes it's the classroom of adversity that helps us to move forward and where we learn the greatest things about God and His truth. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. In times of trouble, connect your faith to life. In times of trouble, connect your faith, the things that you've come to know about the Lord, connect those things to your life. We might say it like this. Start putting to practice what you know about God. Apply the truths of Scripture to your life situation. Three things that we should do when life becomes so lousy. I like that word lousy today, all right? Sometimes life can just be lousy. Three things that we need to do. First of all, in times of trouble, you can put your faith to life, connect your faith with life by getting to Jesus through prayer. Get to Jesus. 
At some point, you just have to quit the grumbling. You have to quit the squabbling. You have to get out of the woe is me. You have to get out of uh, putting an to the pity party. Send all your pity party friends home and get to Jesus on your knees. Amen? Look at the screen. Psalm 86 verse 7 says, I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me. I call, who's, who's responding first? The individual. I'm calling on him. Why? Because he will answer me in my distress. I initiate that. I call to him. Here's something that's so awesome about God. Who beckons me to call to him? He does. His spirit is always wooing me, drawing me to himself, saying, come, get on your knees, pray, pray, seek me out. I've got answers. And I said a few weeks ago, the most devastating thing is to know that there are answers in heaven right now for which prayers were never offered. God answers prayer. You say, well, pastor, you make it sound good because you're one of those preacher boys. And everything goes great for you guys. You guys don't go through setbacks, you know. You guys don't have anything to worry about. You're not working in the real world. I'm out here working in the real world and we go through setbacks and things don't happen. I'm telling you what, churches go through setbacks. Pastor's not easy. Hey, I'm alive. Pinch me and I'll get upset. Just like you would. I'm human. All right, look to the person next to you. Say, he's really human. He's human. All right. I am human just like you. I go through setbacks in life too. I'm not preaching something. I don't need to practice as well. We have to get on our knees in times of adversity and seek the Lord. He'll answer us. You say, well, you know, what I'm facing right now, I don't think Jesus can help me with. What I'm facing right now, no one can help me with. How's he going to help me get a better job? He's there, I'm here. He's in heaven where everything's wonderful, I'm here. The Bible says he's everywhere. How can he fix my home? How can he fix my life? How can he heal this depression that I'm in or this poor self-image I have? How can God turn that around? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired all the time of the way my life's headed. How can God do that? How can he change my life? Well, here's the starting place. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, and the word means keeps on asking with persistence, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be opened So we shouldn't view God as a Sunday morning only God. We shouldn't view God as a, if I'll go to church, then God will do something for me. Look, we go to church because God wants us to gather with the the saints. Because we're encouraged and we're strengthened. He wants us under the teaching of the word. He wants our voices lifted up to him. That's why we go and that's why we gather together. There's something wonderful about meeting together. Or at least it ought to be. It ought to be wonderful. We ought to be able to say, like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let's go to church. Let's go worship the Lord. And let's don't just sit there. Let's put ourselves into worshiping God. That's what we do. But we don't just do that on Sunday morning. And we don't just come to God and pray and look inward and have some introspection on a Sunday morning. Look, He is God on Monday. He is God on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday... And Sunday, He is God every day of the week. Let's don't lessen Him for who He is. 
Like Justin said, he must increase, we must decrease. Let's increase God Monday through Saturday, amen? What happens here on a Sunday morning is intended to help us see how God can work in our life Monday through Saturday as well. Connect your faith to life. Get to Jesus by prayer. Second thing in this second point about connecting your faith to your situation, fill your mind with God's Word. Look again at the screen. One of my favorite verses from Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16. In a time of despair, look what Jeremiah said. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He found it, and he literally ate a page of Scripture. It was to him, it was, it, was, it was an act, it was a symbolic act of, I can't get enough of your truth, God. He said, you are the Lord of hosts, you're Lord God of hosts. I am called by your name. And he saw God's word as rejoicing in his life. It was the joy and rejoicing of his heart. And how many times we know when we pick up the scripture sometimes in our greatest moment of conflict or adversity or even tragedy, we pick up the word of God and we open it up and it speaks life to us. Anybody have that happen? And it brings joy to your heart. It gives you direction when you, you feel like you don't know which way to go. Just a little time in the word. And, 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 and I hate to say this because I'm so against this method of study, but sometimes you can just open it up and find exactly what you need. Don't be like the one boy that did everything uh, like that. That was his form of study until he came to the verse that and Judas went and hanged himself. So he thought, maybe I just go hang myself. No. I, but you can open the Word of God and almost on any page, it'll get you to Jesus. It's just magnificent. The Word of God is better than honey. Better than fine gold. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. One day, during my sophomore English class, right during the middle of a lecture on Shakespeare, we began to hear thumping on the windows of the classroom. This real thick, heavy plastic windows we had. They were tinted and all that. We could hear this thud over and over, this big, low-sounding thud of things hitting the window. And the sound was actually coming from some birds outside. There was a big cedar tree of some sort, or some kind of tree, I don't know what it was, had these little tiny berries and what we, after studying this for a minute or so, we realized all these trees were eating the little berries. And it was making them confused and disorientated. And they were coming, they were flying into the window. They were just going berserk, going crazy, flying every which way. By feasting on the wrong thing, they had become their worst enemy. In times of difficulty, fill your mind with the Word of God. Don't fill your mind with what Susie says. Don't fill your mind full of everything that uh, Billy Bob has to advise you with just because he's been around for a while and he knows how things go. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Don't become your worst enemy by rejecting God and His Word. Here's a third thing. Connect your faith to God by staying close to your friends who will get you to Jesus. The Gospels tell the story of a man who was sick and he couldn't get to Jesus. His friends decided they would get him to Jesus. And so they load him up on a stretcher. They're taking him to a house where Jesus was. He was teaching and he was healing the sick and things of that nature. But they couldn't even get in the door. You know the story I'm talking about? 
the doorway was blocked. People were out there. It was a sold-out concert, so to speak. They couldn't get in. No hope. So they, what do they do? They climb on the roof. And they start breaking a hole in through the ceiling, through the roof, down through the ceiling, and they lower him down, and Jesus heals the man. These friends could have turned away. These friends could have said, well, what's the use? We can't get in. Why even go? Why even bother? We know the crowd's going to be too big. There's not going to be any room to get him to Jesus. But they got on that roof, they cut away, they found a way, and they lowered him down with ropes, and Jesus healed him. And I would ask this question. Who are your closest friends? Who are your closest friends? Are they helping you get to Jesus right now? In a time of adversity, are they people you can go to and they'll encourage you in the Word? They'll encourage you with truth? Are they someone who's pulling you away from trusting Jesus? That's what church ministry and church small groups are all about, in my opinion. Studying the Word together and being a small community of faith where we can share with one another what's going on in our lives and begin to do life together, where I can be for you in your time of weakness what you can be for me in my time of weakness. Small groups bringing people together. Sunday school class bringing people together. The ladies' Bible study coming together and saying, this isn't just about me learning God's Word and growing in my faith. This is about us doing life together and me turning you to Christ, helping you in your walk with the Lord, disclosing the scriptures to you, and you doing the same for me. That's what it's about. That's what close friends are about. Surrounding ourselves with people who will get us to Jesus is something we need to do rather than surrounding ourselves with people who pull us away. As you consider Romans eight twenty eight, I think we can know this. This is the third thing on your outline. God has a way of working things out, so don't give up. I've just been stuck on that phrase for about two weeks now. God has a way. What do you think God's going to do? I don't know what God's going to do in your situation. I just know God has a way. With what you need, God has a way. If you need humility, let me tell you this morning, God has a way, amen? If you need to be reshaped and reformed like a potter fashioning the clay, He fashions us. He can turn the situations in our life in such a way to fashion us to be something usable for Him. He has a way. When things don't look so good and things get, it just gets lousy in life, God has a way, doesn't He? Everybody say, God has a way. He's got a way of working things out, so don't stop now. You already have what you need if you have Him. Just keep trusting and believing. Danny Simpson was going through a setback in life. He was dead broke. He had no money, nowhere to turn. He was literally at the end of his rope, going to lose his house, had already lost his car. In an effort to fix his problem, he did the unthinkable. In his moment of desperation, he decided to take a handgun and go rob the local bank. He was going to fix his problem on his own. And he stole $6,000 from the bank that day, but of course they caught him and arrested him. After they arrested him, of course, they confiscated his weapon in the arrest, and then they did some checking on it. It was a 1918 Colt semi-automatic pistol. It was valued at $100,000. He already had what he needed to help him get through. 
And it wasn't the bullets in the gun, and it wasn't by threatening the tellers at, at the bank window. He had what he needed. It would got him far beyond his present situation. I think if we could only see that what we need, we already have in Jesus, life would be so much better for us. We somehow have to look at these lousy moments in life, these setbacks when they first come, look at it from the beginning as an opportunity to get to Jesus. Look at it as an opportunity to seek Him and to grow in Him. Instead, we come in on the back end of things after we've done all the grumbling, we've done all the fussing, we've done all the pity partying, and we come to Jesus then. And then what is it? It's a humbling experience instead. He wants us to come from the front end of things, I believe. What we need, we already have. He's Jesus. And He's at work, even in the setbacks of life. Working all things together for our good. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God has a way of turning setbacks into souvenirs. But here's the thing in this one verse, it's so powerfully packed. He works those things together for good of those who love Him. So don't stop now. Focus on loving Him all the more. He will work it out.